the Lloyd's List Shipping Podcast. Welcome to the Lloyd's List Podcast. I'm Richard Mead, editor of Lloyd's List. We should be in the middle of a summer lull here in London, and yet here I sit in the International Chamber of Shipping with its Secretary General, Guy Platten, and we are looking down the barrel of 2020, greenhouse gas emissions legislation. We've got tankers being attacked in the Gulf. We've got the Gulf of Guinea security issues. We've got training issues looming, tech-driven requirements for a review of STCW, and then all the big macro trends of a disruptive headwind of digitization, regulatory and financially enforced transparency, shifting macroeconomic demand, and good old-fashioned outside competition coming in. So, the question, I guess, for Guy Platten is, um, what are you doing this summer? <laughs> Thank you, Richard, and uh, thanks for the opportunity of speaking with you uh, today. I think the only thing that's consistent at the moment is change. There's so much change going on in our industry, and I think the pace of that change seems ever-increasing. And, and you're right, there's so many different fronts that we're having to sort of look at very carefully. And, and you know, and each one is as important as the other one in some ways. I think you've summed up very nicely the amount of uh, topics which I've got to deal with over the, the next few months and years. Because your, your previous role at the, the UK Chamber, you know, you've got some interesting uh, things to deal with uh, with Brexit. But, you know, the more international scope now that you're here at the International Chamber, there is just uh, this, this confluence of, of, of big, meaty topics that the industry's got to deal with. From your perspective, you know, sitting here, your, your membership, the national associations, how do you prioritise what it is that the industry can do? And, and, and where is the sort of the ability of the industry to actually make some positive change here? I think uh, we have uh, 38 members now from all around the world. And of course, trying to get consensus on issues is incredibly difficult at times because everyone's got their own viewpoint and quite rightly so. And, and we always pride ourselves in the ICS at that debate to actually really hone down as to what is the priorities at the moment. I think undoubtedly, uh, number one in the ship owners' minds is, is preparing for sulphur uh, 2020, the IMO mm. 2020, the 1st of January. That's the, really is the immediate short-term issue. And, uh, you know, there's ship owners are making their plans, implementation plans are going, but there's still that degree of uncertainty as to what exactly the situation is going to be like on the 1st of January of next year. And I think that uncertainty is, is causing worry. I mean, realistically, if a ship owner has not already started preparing for 2020, you know, in practical terms, you should be run, doing dry runs by now, effectively, on, on some of these things, they're already going to have problems. But do, you, do you get the impression that, you know, the, the, the majority of the issues are now operational rather than anything greater? They are certainly operational in that sense of it as well. But you, you talk about it, not, you know, we're still waiting for adequate supplies of the, the 0.5% fuels to be there. So you can mm. only test if you've got the supplies to test it with. So mm. and I think, you know, that's still some uncertainty around that. Hopefully by the autumn, that will be uh, start to resolve itself. Yes, these are very, you know, the, the political battles have been fought. Yes. Now this is a very much an operational issue. And I think that's what's that's what causing worry and concern. The sense is there will be enough global supply. However, it's that regionalization of yeah. where, where that those problems will be. And particularly for those ship owners in, involved in the tramp trades, I think, I've got a you know unique worry about that, the safety side of it, the availability side of the of these compliant fuels. What about the quality concerns? Are you getting any sense that there's any shift in that? The initial feedback has been that the little availability that there is, the testing has been done has, has been clear. So that is good news, presumably. I, I think quality comes hand in hand with safety and availability. And I think all these are the issues. They're, they're, they're sort of the great unknowns, if you like. 
let's hope by this time next year, if we have the same conversation about the same podcast, is that we've largely resolved all those issues and it's business as usual. I mean, mm. that's, that would be my great hope. And what about that? We're talking operationally. You know, the, the concern, I guess, is that in terms of how the industry deals with the shift, the real problems are going to be in terms of how it is dealt with on board. It's the mixing issues. It's you know perfectly compliant sets of fuels that are mixed and then have uh, you know issues to deal with. Do you get the sense that those concerns are now dissipated? I guess. I think the more ship owners and start preparing and make their plans, I think these things start to you look at solutions rather than just problems. Yeah. I think that's the the sense I I, I get. But I don't think we should underestimate the, that degree of uncertainty that still exists as to exactly what the situation will be like in January. Okay. Let's move uh, a little bit further out and uh, greenhouse gas emissions, obviously a hot topic at the IMO and, mm-hmm. and, and generally speaking, you've seen the Poseidon principles coming out from the banking side in terms of the industry really pushing on the 2050 deadline and getting behind that. We're now seeing equity analysts adding in elements of these uh, metrics, I guess, mm-hmm. in terms of how they're looking at uh, corporate governance. Uh, Wells Fargo came out last night and said they were going to be including them in their next scorecards, it does seem a, you know, a bit of a seismic shift in terms of attitude towards not just the 2050 goal uh, in terms of decarbonisation, but overall that corporate social responsibility and how the industry is really changing the way it's planning for the next 20, 30 years. I mean, I, I, I strongly believe the next 10 years will see fundamental changes in the way our industry is, is the technology and, and everything within our industry. But the point is we can't operate in isolation. And it's, mm. you know, you talk about the, the Poseidon principles and the other type of things. I think there's a great commitment amongst my members and, and, and their members of ship owners to start investing for the future. Mm. But it can't be done in, you know, governments will have to pay their part. Member states will have to play their parts as well. I mean, I'll just give you an example. So we're looking at potentially zero carbon fuels going forward. And there's any number that could be, we could choose from. But just say, I went to a presentation the other other day and someone was advocating the use of ammonia as a fuel. And this can be, with modifications to existing engines, it's, I understand it can be you know, used in current sort of engine, engines and, and so forth. However, it's about only about 20% as calorific as oil. Yeah. So as an industry, we burn 300 million tonnes of oil, just an average. So therefore, that would indicate they would need to produce one and a half billion tonnes of ammonia. So where's that going to be stored? How's that going to be produced? And so I think when we look at the long term and the commitment, the absolute commitment of the industry to produce our CO2, it can't be done in isolation. We have to get that same involvement from member states because that whole supply chain mm. is going to have to be put into service, this the new zero carbon. You know, we're calling it the fourth propulsion revolution. Because it really is, you know, we've gone from sale to sort of coal to oil and now to to what? And so this is where we've got to start lobbying. We've got to have that research. All that's got to be done now. And it's Mm. not a something we can take 15, 20 years. It really has to start accelerating the next few years. That big long list of issues I I reeled out at the beginning. I mean, that really highlights the predicament that you face, you know, in in this very traditional environment of the International Chamber that has represented ship owners by and large in the same way, in the same forums for for many, many years. That's changing. The nature of what you do as a representative body for the industry is changing. And it's not just a question of representation at the IMO or other international forums. You are now having to deal with adjacent sectors and, as you say, the entire integrated supply chain. 
you have very little agency to make changes outside. And you know, we're dealing with a much more complex matrix of lobbying and um, negotiations from here to 2050. How do you deal with that? So we've, uh, you know, I've been in post now coming up to a year, it seems like five minutes, but it's now a year. And one of the things we focus on really is that, that strategic outlook. What do we need to do? You know, we, you know, the strength of the ICS is its expertise on, on policy and, and technical issues. Um, and it's its strength and its respect is held at IMO. I mean, it's, you know, I've seen it for myself when I go along to the meetings. If ICS speaks, you know, member states do listen to what we've got to say, what industry has to say. Mm. But we have to do more. You're quite right. This is not just about the IMO, important though it is. It's about all those other international bodies, or all those international four, because everything is so interlinked. Shipping mm. is part of the world economic system. And we need to plug into that to make sure that our voice is heard. Do you think the industry voice as a whole is being heard, though, at that international level? One of the arguments I had with your predecessor, Peter Hinchliffe, was that the acronym soup of shipping industry representation is, in fact, diluting the ability of the industry to speak with a coherent voice where it matters. Increasingly, as we say, this is not just a question of you know, having an internal IMO debate. This is a question of being able to influence discussions at the UNFCCC, at the ILO, at you know, international bodies that are not so familiar with the intricate acronym soup of uh, uh, shipping industry uh, jargon you know is there not an argument for a little bit of consolidation amongst representation i think i'd rather focus on what we need to do i mean consolidation or otherwise will take place for, for good reasons that's not thing that's outside my control but i think what we can do what is in my control is to make sure that our voice is heard outside of the sort of narrow sphere perhaps that we've been focusing on you know, we, we already do engage with ILO on, on you know, Matt, our Navy Convention and UNFCCC, but we sort of, we, we go along. But I think there's so much more we can do, World Economic Forum, all these other areas where we, I think, have got a legitimate voice at the table. I mean, I'm very proud of our industry. I'm proud of our track record, you know, on a variety of fronts. Mm. And and I think actually we've got a good story to tell. I think sometimes we, we damn ourselves, but actually overall we've got a really good story to tell. You know, we really are committed to do something about the climate change you know we, mm. we've got a vested interest in that and I think increasingly we've got to be heard outside of our, our current areas of sort of influence to try and influence uh, policy agenda at a, a more macro level amongst governments. While we're on the government topic let's bring it back to a specific issue raging right now we've got tankers facing security threats in the uh, the Middle East Gulf but we've also you know let's not forget the Gulf of Guinea is still a, a, a massive security hotspot for shipping What's the view of the ICS in terms of how we get that de-escalation of you know, risk for shipping and take the politics out of trade? Well, I think you know, that's a really important point. We, we want to try and take those politics. They are there, but we want to get on with our jobs of safety transporting goods mm. around the world. That's what we do. That is what shipping's all about. So when you have all these sort of incidents, Gulf of Guinea, you, you, you mentioned, we're some appalling attacks on ships. It mm. really is. And the, the levels of violence being meted out is just, it's just awful. These things are in some way outside of our control, other than we can constantly make the case, you know, for our crews, for the safety of navigation, and for the freedom of navigation and, and the free movement of trade. Mm. We've got to keep advocating that case. And that perhaps takes us back to where we were before. Mm. Yeah, uh, we've seen, uh, you know, the US government come out and call for, you know, naval intervention and support for, for shipping and trade. And we've seen that before. Um, and certainly, on a flag by flag basis, there is a a willingness, I guess, to have some uh, some 
fairly robust naval support for the uh, the national flagged ships. Do you think that is part of the answer, or is that just going to exacerbate an already heated political situation in the Middle well, East? Well, we need to see the detail of all of that. I mean, there's still that's still in the, being formulated now, and we'll take a view once we see more of the detail. I mean, one thing we can say is we want ships to safely be able to go about their business. That's mm. the fundamental thing that we're asking for. Okay. Finally, I mentioned training almost in the last breath, but actually it's probably one of the most important things that the ICS is lobbying, and not just in terms of you know the requirements for things like SDCW, and you are talking about a review, but the longer term requirements of the industry as we face all those big macro headwinds, the big theme is digitalization and the changing nature of the technology that we're dealing with as an industry. If we don't get the training right, then all of those other things fall over. People at the heart of our industry, they always have been. It's uh, we, For an industry which is basically huge, big sort of superstructures floating around the ocean, actually, we're very, uh, very, it's on a very personal level. And uh, you're right, I think uh, training is at the heart of it all. You know, we uh, you know, we absolutely rely on our, our, our crews to safely transport the cargoes around the world. And they need to be properly invested in and properly mm. trained. And, you know, we've got to make sure we're all for global regulation, particularly amongst training, because it sets a standard, a, a baseline, a minimum, if you like. So therefore, we must make sure that minimum level of training keeps up with all the technology that's uh, changes that are happening uh, now and in the future, in the plan for, which is why we, you know, we pushed for a review of the STCW. And I'm really pleased by the reaction of member states at IMO, which is, yeah, absolutely, let's do this. Mm. So... A submission is being made for the next uh, meeting, a meeting next next year, in which that that process will start. But this will take some time. Yep. The reviews always do take time, but that's why it's so important that we start that now, so that we make sure we we give our crews the best training possible. Guy Platten, Secretary General of the International Chamber of Shipping. Thank you for joining the Royal List podcast. Thank you, Richard.